if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is where we're heading this morning as we continue through the Psalms this summer. Uh, and we only have a, a, you know, a couple more weeks until we'll be crossing the threshold into the fall. It's hard to believe, especially with how warm the last week has been, but at least it's cooling down. Um, but for today, Psalm 40 is where we're headed. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you to think about something, and I'm going to invite uh, some responses. What comes to mind when you hear the word testimony? What comes to mind when you hear the word testimony? I'd love to hear from a few people. Um, Just share from right where you're sitting. What, What do you think of when you hear about testimony? Sharing your faith. Yeah? Courtrooms. Yeah. Truth. Mm-hmm. What? Joy that cannot hold you back from speaking. I love that. Yeah. Anyone else? What comes to mind? What? Gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Testimony. A story. Yeah. Yeah. So when I hear the word testimony, I remember growing up in church youth group. And people would at times get up and share stories about coming to know God. Uh, right? Their kind of story of faith. And I'll never forget this one night at our youth group gathering when a guy who I had never seen before showed up and got up in front of everyone. He had long hair, probably bare feet, uh, just to kind of get the picture of, of what this guy was like. And he told this story about how he had grown up in a really rough household. Uh, and how he had, and I mean, this is high school, high schoolers, but he had, you know, uh, been drinking a lot and smoking a lot. Marijuana, which in Texas, where I'm from, was insane, right? I mean, that's just crazy. Um, and uh, how God had met him and, and delivered him from these things. And he wanted to share his story with with everyone to to sort of testify to the power of God. And it was very powerful. It was a very moving testimony. Um, Maybe you've heard a testimony like that before. And stories like these are incredible. They're inspiring uh, they, they, they mean a lot to us, but one of the things that often stuck with me as I, you know, heard testimony after testimony and so on uh, growing up in church was this idea that a testimony needs to be especially dramatic to really count. You guys know what I mean? Right? Uh, like, no one ever said that to me outright. But after hearing a lot of testimonies throughout life and, and, and hearing people's reactions to them, it always seemed like the most dramatic testimonies were more legit, right? Just counted a little bit more. Have any of you ever gotten that idea as well? Uh, 
See, God can and God does do dramatic things to rescue people and save people and deliver people. And those stories are absolutely worth sharing. Uh, They're powerful and important, but so are all the non-dramatic stories. So are all the stories that seem like common, everyday, boring faithfulness. You see, everyone has a testimony to share. Everyone. No matter how dramatic it might be or how absolutely ordinary it might be. Everyone has a story to share. And what matters most is is not necessarily all the content and drama of that story, but simply sharing it. That's what matters most. Sharing that story with others. This is what Psalm 40 is all about. It's essentially a testimony poem. It takes a story of deliverance and shares that story with others. But it's also quite a bit more than that, as we will see. So let's hear this now. Psalm 40, beginning in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud and to those who do, who turn aside to to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. 
May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the power of testimony. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 40 begins with a testimony story. And then it goes from there. So let's consider it together as we walk back through the psalm. The testimony itself is actually quite brief. The basic story is told just in the first two verses. Verses 1 and 2. But as brief as these two verses are, there's quite a few phrases and images that bear some reflection. So the first of these is just the opening statement. I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, waited patiently may not actually be the best translation of this Hebrew phrase. Very literally, the Hebrew text just repeats the word wait twice. Uh, it, It says, I waited, waited for the Lord. I waited, waited for the Lord. Most translations interpret this double waiting as kind of a sense of of patiently waiting. But there are some scholars who read this not so much as serene patience. I patiently waited for the Lord. But uh, a kind of desperate urgency that is going on for far, far too long. I waited and waited for the Lord. That's probably a little bit more accurate to what the psalmist is saying here. There's this ongoing, lingering desperation. And that's where the psalm starts. And where is this waiting taking place? Well, verse 2 tells us that he has been in the slimy pit, the mud and the mire. Uh, When I was a kid, cartoons perennially depicted the dangers of quicksand. I don't know if any of you have seen those. Um, Quicksand seemed to be everywhere and was the, the... Worst enemy of every character in the show. I'm actually disappointed by how little quicksand I've encountered in life after Saturday morning cartoons really prepared me for a life of its alleged omnipresent threat. But this sort of image of quicksand getting stuck and sinking down into it is the image that the psalmist is using here. 
He's stuck in the muddy, miry quicksand, a place that he is unable to deliver himself from, something that he needs rescuing from. But it's actually even worse than that. Uh, The Hebrew phrase slimy pit, uh, depending on how it's translated, is even more complex. It can also be translated roaring pit or a desolate pit. The the words and language and the image that's used here is much like the opening pages of Scripture before God began to speak into creation. And what we see there is a formless, empty darkness over the surface of deep waters that are raging in chaos. Uh, We've talked about this before. The psalmist has referred to this before. It's this image of chaos water. And so there's this pit with these roaring waters at the bottom of it, of desolation. Uh, That's the image here. The psalmist is sinking into this roaring, desolate place. It's a tide that's about to carry the psalmist away. It's this sort of force of anti-creation seeking to undo what God has done. It's a pit as roaring, dark, and foreboding as the grave, that which takes life itself from us. And so this is where the psalmist is waiting waiting for the Lord. Truly, this is no serene kumbaya patiently waiting. This is a desperate urgency. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for the Lord. That's where the psalm starts. This is where testimony begins. And it's important to say that this is is part of the testimony. This is part of the testimony, the long, distressing season of waiting and sometimes desperate circumstances is part of the story. Waiting for God to act is part of the testimony. Isn't this always the case? So we look through the stories, the testimonies of Scripture. The story of Abraham and Sarah includes years, decades of waiting for this promised child. The story of Joseph includes years of captivity, slavery, and prison before his dream vision of standing in a place of authority, whatever come to pass. The story of Moses begins with Israel enslaved in Egypt for generations as they cry out to God and waited and waited for God to deliver them. 
story of the prophet Samuel we've been talking about in our, our uh, conversation hour the last several weeks. Uh, Samuel, who would eventually anoint King David, his story begins with a barren woman named Hannah pouring out her heart to God so intensely that the priest will think that she's drunk because she's praying so passionately. She's asking God for a child. Isn't that waiting always part of the story? Even the Sunday resurrection story of Jesus includes Friday's crucifixion and Saturday's silent waiting. Waiting, waiting for the Lord is part of the story. It's part of the testimony. And so I wonder, are you perhaps in the midst of one of those long, desperate times of waiting, waiting for the Lord? Or maybe you know someone who is. Or maybe you can think back to a time when you were. One of those times when it seems like nothing at all is happening. When God is nowhere to be found. Where circumstances feel like a slimy, roaring, desolate pit that you're sinking deeper into every day. If you find yourself in a moment like that, it very well may be part of the story of God's action in your life. It may very well be the first couple lines of a psalm that will eventually be praise and celebration and testimony of God's deliverance. The waiting and the pit are part of the story. We must not ignore it or run past it. But thank God it doesn't end there, right? The psalm begins with that waiting, waiting for the Lord, but then he turned and heard my cry. And the psalmist begins in the pit of mud and mire, but he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Notice that all of the action, all of the motion in this is God. God is the one who turns to the psalmist. God is the one who lifts him up out of the pit. A testimony is not ultimately about all the things that a person has endured, all the things that a person has been through. It's not about how dramatic their trouble was or how heroic their waiting was. It's about what God has done. God is the one who does the action here. God turned and heard. God lifted and set. So the psalmist finds his place on a solid rock, a firm place to stand, 
No longer waiting, no longer sinking, but resting secure because of what God has done. This is the basic story. This is the testimony that the psalmist tells. And in the next verses, we see two primary responses to what God has done. Verse 3 says that he, the Lord, put a new song in my mouth and of praise to our God, and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. The two responses are singing and sharing. Singing to the Lord and sharing with others. First, the psalmist praises God, and then he proclaims to other people who in turn put their trust in God. But what we see here is that these two responses are really one and the same. The psalm shows us that praising God is one of the primary ways we share God with others. A a question, why do we get together and sing songs every week? Why do we gather and sing praise Is it because God feels lonely and insecure and needs an ego boost? Is that the kind of God that God is? Of course not. God does not need our praise. God does not need our songs. But we do need our songs. We do need to praise. We do need to hear each other's songs of praise to God. Colossians 3 says, Admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. To to who? To one another. Admonish one another through the singing. Ephesians chapter 5 says the same thing. Be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We don't gather to sing songs of praise to give God a boost. We praise God to give each other a boost. One that we desperately need. Because praising God is one of the primary ways that we share God with others. It's true of our formal worship gatherings like this, but it's also true in our day-to-day lives. When we live our lives in worship toward God, our lives help to point others toward God. That's how it works. And this is the pattern that we see unfold through verses 4 through 10. The psalmist continues describing these responses of singing to God and sharing with others. Verse 4 may very well be the beginning of this psalmist's new song of praise that's been put in his mouth. He begins in verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts 
in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or to those who turn aside to false gods. So because God has rescued him, he turns away from other objects of worship, and he worships God alone. He doesn't look to the proud, those who have rescued themselves, nor does he turn to the false gods, those who claim to rescue but can't. Our world is filled with these things as well, right? Our world is filled with praises for the self-rescuers. Our world is filled with all kinds of false rescuers. We love a good story about hard work and self-reliance, right? It's built into our culture, right? That's the kind of thing that, that gets a big applause, But helpless people who are stuck in muddy, miry circumstances, who desperately need the slow, patient help from others that looks a lot like a couple steps forward and a step back and a few steps forward and a couple steps back over and over again, that kind of story is rarely celebrated or told. We love self-rescuers, right? We also love false rescuers. All day long, we're surrounded by ads on TV and social media, singing the praises of some product that will deliver us, right? All you need to do is bow down, buy this, and your heart will be happy. And you'll have all that you need. This is the worship liturgy that we're led in day after day by all that we're surrounded by. But the psalmist has turned away the proud self-rescuers and the fake false rescuers because he has been saved by the Lord. And then notice in verse 5, The language seamlessly shifts from that third-person testimony about the Lord to second-person praise, using the word you. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. On and on he goes. The psalmist is praising God, and yet this praise is still part of his testimony. This praise is still part of the story that he's telling because praising God is one of the primary ways that we share testimony. We do it as we sing songs, We do it in our everyday lives as well, which is what the next few verses begin to describe. Verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Here I am. I've come. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written in my heart. The phrase, my ears you have opened, uh, is very literally, my ears you have dug 
out. A very visceral kind of, of phrase and verb that's used there. It may very well be an image a lot like Genesis 2, where God grabs the dirt and forms the person out of it, digging out the ears, forming the eyes, breathing life into the human. This might be why some later manuscripts show this line as a body you have prepared for me instead of just ears you have dug for me. Verses 6 to 8, though, depict this life lived in worship to God, formed and sculpted and breathed on by the Spirit. God does not merely want religious rituals like sacrifices and offerings. He says this twice over. To us, God does not merely want us to attend worship services and sing songs. He wants our whole life formed by Him, shaped and sculpted by Him, breathed upon Him, uh, upon, by Him, by His Holy Spirit. He wants open ears, a people ready to listen to His voice and follow Him where He leads. He wants a people that don't only follow the letter of the law, but actually have God's way written within them, on their hearts, written into their very character. This is what it is to bear fruit from the Spirit, to have God's ways inside of us. God desires a people created in His image, just as it was in the beginning shining and showing his image to the world around us. This is what God desires. This is what he wants, not just performing religious duties, but living a whole life of worship to God. That's how we share God with other people. That's how we testify about who God is. So in verses 9 through 10, the psalmist declares, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I don't seal my lips. I don't hide your righteousness. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I don't conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. His singing and his sharing are one and the same. His praise to God and testimony of God are a unified act as he worships God and shares his story with others. This is the testimony that he shares. And he worships God and he shares it with others. Now again, just like last week, this would be a wonderful place for the psalm to end. It would be a nice and tidy testimony, and this would be a nice, neat sermon. Because when we tell stories, we prefer them to end with the phrase, happily ever after, right? Those are the stories we want to tell. And wouldn't it be nice if our testimonies always ended 
and they lived happily ever after, right? God saved me, and I've been loving and worshiping him ever since, and I'll do it forever, on into eternity. That would be great, but the Psalms are far more honest than we like to be. And the psalmist's testimony is far more real than our happily ever afters. In verses 11 to 17, the psalm shifts from testimony and praise to prayer and petition. And suddenly the psalmist is saying, don't withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without number are surrounding me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. So though the the law of God had been written on his heart, his heart is failing him. And he calls out to God for help once more. Once more, the psalmist prays to be saved. And this shows us something important. It shows us that salvation is not merely a once and done event, but rather an ongoing process as we journey with God and beg to be saved day in and day out. Our testimonies are not merely God saved me yesterday, but also, and I need him to save me again today. That's the true testimony. We don't merely look to some religious experience from the past, but we continue relying on God every day. That's what faith looks like. That's what faith is. And some of us, some of you may wrestle with experiences of doubt. Maybe you feel guilty about it or wonder if your past faith experiences were even real at all. You've had spiritual highs, but you're in the middle of a spiritual low and you don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to think. The psalm shows us that this is a normal experience for people who follow God. It is normal for people who follow God to pray the prayer of Mark 9, 24, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because we live in the midst of both of those. We have past stories of faith. But oh, we need God's continuing help every day. In Psalm 40, the psalmist shares his testimony of deliverance. He praises God and he proclaims to others, but it doesn't end with happily ever after. Instead, the psalm concludes with continued prayers, 
for continued deliverance. You know, each week we begin our worship with the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Deliver us from evil. We don't pray it once and then never again, right? We pray it as we gather together every week because every week we need to be delivered from evil anew. And every week we'll have a new story to tell, a new testimony. Every week we'll have a new song to sing as we praise God and proclaim this testimony to others. And though we're called to share our stories, the story that each of our testimonies points to is the story of Jesus. That's the ultimate story. And that's ultimately who this psalm is about. The book of Hebrews describes at length how Jesus came to fulfill the whole of Scripture, the whole story of Scripture, the story of the heavens and the earth, the temple and tabernacle, the sacrifices and offerings, all of these would be fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Hebrews 10, the author writes, when Christ came into the world, he said, and then he quotes from Psalm 40, Sacrifice, an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus the Christ, God in the flesh, is the one who came to do the will of God by giving up his body and his blood on the cross to rescue and redeem us so that we can be forgiven our sins, so that we can be delivered from evil, so that we can be restored to life. Jesus is the one who came down into our miry pit and lifted us up out of it. Jesus is the solid rock on which we now stand. The story of Jesus' death and resurrection is the ultimate testimony that we are called to proclaim. The story of his rule and his reign, this is the good news that we are to carry to all who need hope. So who might you share this story with? Who can you proclaim this good news to? in your worship, and in your life. 
through your testimony and the testimony of Jesus. Jesus is alive. He rules and he reigns. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And he will come again. The psalm concludes with the prayer, Come quickly, Lord. You are my God. Do not delay. The whole of Scripture also concludes with the words, Come, Lord Jesus. He is our hope. And so let us praise him as we continue waiting for him. Amen.